Welcome to the James Quantall Show, the space where I interview the world's experts and share how you can live your life to the fullest and build the life of your dreams. You're in for a treat with today's episode in which I sat down with a fellow dreamer, Paul Reese. What would happen if you tried to build your own home from the ground up with zero experience and zero money, where you had to wait to get paid even to buy the most basic of parts like screws? In the middle of this big project, would you give away your only mode of transportation to friends in need? Paul explains how reading and writing became a daily habit when he grew up in a household with zero TVs and how much this has helped him become a creative thinker. We pondered why we focus on what we disagree on more than discussing and working together on the common ground, which I believe is actually a much bigger slice of the pie. Paul believes attitude is everything and that we can be gentle with the truth. Please sit back and enjoy our conversation. So Paul and I were chatting and we were talking about his book, Kind of Tiny Home, which I just finished and I was complimenting him that he was able to write a book that was simple. And first of all, it wasn't too long. I feel like so many authors make a book way longer than they need to to make their point. But this book was simple, but it was deep. And first of all, the drawings and the artistic touch, being in the book publishing business myself, that was a work of art. Just the way it was all corp- incorporated through the entire book was beautiful. I thought that was really cool. And then the writing was just simple and honest and straightforward. And I just wanted to start with how on earth did you achieve such a simple writing style? It's almost like you were just talking and it turned into a book form. And I know how hard that is. Yes. And uh, I think that people have described my writing style as reductionist in nature. And so what I try to do is I try to make it easy to understand. I could use a lot of big words and write really long books, but in today's world, I don't feel that people would engage it as easily and uh, it'd be less readable. And so uh, I like books that are deep, but also simple to read. Uh, And so there's a, there's this fine balance between depth and simplicity and, uh, I find that it is the way that I have conversations as well. And um, sometimes I'll read the book out loud. <clears throat> like after I write a chapter, I'll just read it out loud. And if it doesn't flow whenever I'm speaking it, then I go back and I just edit it. I'm like, man, saying that out loud doesn't even make sense. And so, um, you know, I was also blessed to be raised uh, in a household where we didn't have TV. So reading and uh, writing were daily um habits of mine. And I think that that kind of led to a style of communication that is uh, receivable and easier to read. Why didn't you have a TV? That's pretty uncommon. Yeah, it's very uncommon. I think it's because my parents uh, were Christians and they believed that the television would influence our young brains in a way that uh, was not um, pointing us towards Jesus Christ. And, uh, at first, you know, at, you know, I didn't even realize it, you know, probably up until the age of eight. And then I went over to a friend's house and I watched cartoons through his window one day before the school bus arrived. And I was like, wow, like TV is awesome. And then I kind of like always kind of regret, like always would like, you know, mom, dad, can we get a TV? And they're like, nope. But, uh, you know, it, it worked out great. I'm so grateful for it now when I look at people and, um, you know, how controlled they are by television and just having that experience where I didn't learn how to be programmed immediately from birth. 
And uh, so it's good. It's interesting. If my wife and I, we take a walk every night after dinner and we take like a 15 or 20 minute walk around our neighborhood. And if it's raining, we just like go around the house or up and down the steps or whatever. But you look as you're walking at the houses and you just see these flashes of light, almost like lightning coming out of every single house you walk past. And you don't realize that when you're watching TV, but it is bright and it is alluring and it's hard to look away from, but you notice it when you're not like sitting directly in front of it. Same thing on an airplane. You're sitting in an airplane in the middle of the night and you're trying to sleep and people a few rows next to you have the TVs on and it's just like boom, 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 like flashing, flashing, flashing. And like I know when I was a kid, it wasn't nearly as um, enticing as it is now. I think even now they've learned how to program and and make the brightness and all the contrast and everything really stand out to get you really hooked. Yeah, and it's just anything that changes every one and a half to three seconds is meant to draw your attention. And it's almost like a fight or flight response that we have where if we see a quick movement, then our eye is drawn to it. And so that's why they just change the screen one and a half to three seconds. And um, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting how they do it. And they hypnotize people and... Um, Go ahead. No, I was I was just listening, but I'm curious if you have a TV now or how much television you watch now as an adult. Yeah, um, since I got married to my wife six years ago, uh, she was raised with television, and I was not. And um, she said, "Well, we're gonna have a television," and I said, "Okay." And uh, you know, it sounds weird, is that? Uh, there's some really interesting TV shows nowadays. Like I, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I, it's the easiest thing that I've ever done before. And it is a trap. And I would say that, you know, two or three nights of the week, we'll watch maybe a show or two if it's a weekend, maybe two shows, but, uh, just both of our realities are so busy with the garden and the chickens and the land and building things and events that it, uh, you know, it's a it's a treat whenever we do get to sit down and relax. But I would actually say I kind of enjoy watching TV now, and but I'm very aware of its power and very aware of how much energy I'm giving to it. Um, and you know, if the TV was taken away tomorrow, I I would be just fine as well. I think it depends on what you're watching because now that you it's we're, I would almost call us in a post television network age to where you can watch anything you want at any time where and not see commercials potentially and i think that makes a big difference it's more like um functional and educational if you want and it's crazy we actually don't have a tv in our house now we just moved in a few months ago and we were borrowing a tv and we gave it back and they're like, you're not, you don't want a new TV in your place? Like, no, I don't want a TV in my place because I have absolutely no self-control. And at the end of the day, if I'm tired and I just want some type of passive activity, it's so easy for me just to flip on the TV and then scroll and find something. And I said, I want to go and watch something when I'm choosing of my own free will to watch something specific. And I think it makes a huge difference when you're doing that. And so now we just watch it on my computer screen maybe once a week if that probably more like twice a month we'll watch a movie and it's different it's like what's the best 
romantic comedy that came out in the last 50 years. And we watched that versus what's just on. And I think it changes everything. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you. And yeah, I think sometimes I go over to people's houses and they're watching TV and it has commercials. And it's just, it hurts my head. I'm like, how are, like, how are you in this environment with this thing just blaring at you? Um, but yeah, I, <clears throat> I actually like watching YouTube videos, um, education, building videos, uh, philosophy, theology, um, all of that fun stuff. But yeah, I, I would say I watch more YouTube. Um, and that's kind of, that's honestly how I built the kind of tiny home was watching YouTube videos and making mistakes. Uh, but yeah, I find value in YouTube more so than even TV shows. Definitely. And then, so do you think that like your creativity process now, are you still writing pretty frequently? Yes. Um, I am still writing. I just finished a book, uh, the psychedelic Christian, and then I'm going to be writing two more books. I've started, um, compiling, uh, information for one of them, which will be the easiest book I've ever written. Uh, it's going to be called stories I will never tell. And it's basically, uh, it's going to be the title of the book. And, um, yeah, I've, I've had a ton of very interesting uh, stories and realities that I've engaged in my past and I'll be changing some names and places, but just sharing stories and some of them will be lessons, some will be funny, some will be hard, some will be, um, you know, part of my testimony, Uh, but uh, that'll be a very interesting book and then I'm writing another one and it'll be called My God, My Dad, My Brother, My Friend. And basically how I have a relationship with God and how that is a um, that is its own thing is me and my direct relationship with God. And then the other one is when I'm talking to my dad, who is a conservative Christian and I admire and love him and he loves Jesus. But there's a certain filter in our conversation that happens because I understand his perspective and um, I experience God in a different way with my dad and talking to him because I see God through his lens as opposed to my own intimate relationship with God. And then the same thing with my brother, um, who at this point is uh, believes much differently than I do about the you know, Christian reality and about Jesus. And uh, whenever I have a conversation with him, I see um, God through his lens and his perspective. And my, I find that my language changes, not in that Jesus isn't the way, the truth, and life, but that I try to understand where he's at and still um, have that foundation in Christ. And then, so there's this uh, level of respect that goes into both my brother and my dad. And I care about their opinions and their thoughts about me because I love them. But when I'm talking to my friends about God or about some theological, you know, debate or uh, depth of scripture or something, I find that we can pretty much say anything to each other and there's not a level of offense. Um, There's like no expectation built into the conversation that I need to get my brother's approval or my dad's approval. Um, So it's just an interesting, uh, just interesting to me to observe how I have conversations about God in different ways and then how my relationship with God, how I have, you know, ultimate peace with that, but how it's different through different people. That will be a really cool book. And I think about that a lot actually. And I'm curious, um, I know you have a, a sales background and you've had some sales positions in the past. And 
I've found that I'm, I'm a pretty good salesperson and I have an ability to pick up on people's feelings and emotions and their um, ideas pretty quickly. And I, not in a manipulative way, find myself speaking to them differently than I would maybe a different group. Not being untrue to who I am, but just because I can feel and I see how people are different. I love the idea of a book like that mainly because I find myself sort of being a chameleon in a way sometimes and changing the way I talk based on who I'm speaking with and not in a nefarious way and not in a way that is untrue to actually who I am. I just find I have so many interests and I have such a wide range of ideas that I can connect with so many different groups of people. But I do really wonder sometimes if I am if it is negative in some way when i kind of change how i talk based on who i'm talking with have you as, as since you're writing a book about it, i'm curious if you thought about that at all yeah I, I have thought about that and so to me there is um with truth there's two ways of delivering or standing in truth one is that you can slap somebody with it and the other one is that you can be gentle with it and i find that if you just try to immediately prove somebody wrong or show how different you think um, that it can be off-putting, or is if you can show them that you understand their mindset in a way, and then you know you that allows them to be open to uh, hearing or receiving information from you that would help them grow. And so, to me, uh, there is a balance with it. You know, if if I'm talking to an atheist and at the end of the conversation the atheist thinks i agree with him then i didn't do a good job but if the atheist atheist thinks that i listened to him and i understood his perspective and i respected him and at the same time i pointed him to jesus and shared my testimony uh then that to me is that balance that um i try to do i find myself talking with lots of different people through the podcast and through my friendships i don't look for people that are exactly like me when I'm trying to find a friend or have a conversation. I actually prefer to find people who are completely different me than me because it seems like they open my eyes to whole new worlds. But when I am having conversations with these folks and we do come on religion or politics or family lifestyle, some things that can be heated, I usually try to find what we agree on instead of immediately going to what's different and i feel like it's so there's so i feel like 90 to 95 percent of people agree with the core ideas it's like this five or ten percent that we spend all this time on twitter fighting and debating about but we could make the world a lot better place if we just focused on that 90 percent you know why mm -hmm. i just don't understand why we got to focus on what we disagree on so much and try to convince someone to come to our side when we could be like hey you know, let's let's make the world a better place for our kids. Like, hey, let's let's grow food in a good way. Let's make our bodies like beautiful. Let's have the education system be good. Let's have clean water and clean air. Like, couldn't we all agree on that stuff? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. I um, yeah, I, the, the world right now with communication, as far as uh, in person, I'm great. On online, I've actually, I may just pull off social media altogether just because of the nature of it in today's world um but yeah it's definitely polarizing and extreme and i find that 
if there's somebody I disagree with on Facebook, I very rarely will ever like, I, I don't think I've ever really tried to have an argument or anything on Facebook, but or more or Instagram or Twitter or any of them. But if I see the people in life, it almost like it dissolves and we can actually just talk. Um, and so that is a, a very real wake up call to me. Uh, and when I observe the world, I can see that, uh, the world that we're coming into is very, very unhealthy as far as communication and understanding each other. And it's intentional. Like it's being orchestrated by people that are in control of those systems and platforms and they understand what's happening and what they're doing and what they promote and how they set up the systems and, um, Unity is not the end goal. Division is because division creates sides, sides create cells, sides create fear. Um, and sometimes you do have to take a side as well. Like sometimes there's a stance that you have to take. And, um, you know, but this is the first time in history where people can just randomly just say things on, you know, online and thousands of people see and respond and they get verification from a thousand other people who agree with them that they've never met in real life. And so it's it's just a strange reality, man, for real. And there is just so much more that we have in common. When I just meet a stranger at the post office or walking around my neighborhood, we don't go like this side versus that side immediately. It's more so what do we have in common and how can we love each other? And I think that's what's missing from social media. And that's why I deleted social media for the longest time. I mean, I deleted my Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram accounts, and I had them from the beginning, like 2007, 2008, when most of those were made, and I realized I was wasting so much time, and it was unproductive time, and I wanted to reallocate that time to other things, just like we were talking about with television. Then I realized, hey, I, I have these ideas, and I want to, and I want to have conversations and share them with people, and the people are on social media. So I had to make accounts again in order to share the podcast and share my writing and share my ideas. Otherwise, they wouldn't go very far, but potentially. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, man, for sure. So it's, it's sort of tricky. Um, but it is something I am thinking a lot about of what are those common areas that everyone can agree on and how can we just spend more time talking about those ideas instead? Yeah, I mean, you, you've got me. I, you know, I, I, I've, I've erased probably 15 posts in the last year. And I used to do like four or five posts a week. And now I do one like maybe once a month. And I just find myself, it's like, it's futile. Like, I, you know, and I used to, back in the day, I would post a picture of a sunset or with a, with a Bible verse or a nice quote. And now it's almost like everything has to be political. Um, like any post that you do has to ha like be in response to whatever the media is feeding you. And, uh, yeah, it's a very, very strange world, but yeah, I, the, the common things are, they just don't sell as much, man. Um, and so the engagement isn't there. So people aren't going to really, most people using social media are looking for engagement. So to talk about the, the things that we have in common won't have engagement because it, it almost seems obvious to people, but. Maybe we do need more of that, at least in real life. For sure. And I find when I can have dinner with, with people who identify as Christians and people who are not Christians or they're atheists and 
people who are on the right or people who are on the left, and we can talk about the food and the great wine and the beautiful weather and the music that's playing. And, you know, that to me is a much better world than sitting in our own little pockets of people who are exactly like us. And there's no growth there, really. And if I can't sit in a room with someone who disagrees with me and casually have a conversation with them about why I believe what I believe and they believe what they believe, and I'm afraid to do that, then maybe I don't actually really believe what I believe. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a very real thought. Um, it's a very real thought. I think about that all the time on do our actions validate what we believe or do we just say we believe it? And that's a real wake up call for me, honestly, um, on a lot of, you know, just my understanding of the world and uh, my belief system. So it's a good thought, man. And I think sometimes you just know in your heart you feel something and you maybe don't have the facts to back it up yet. And you just have faith that it's the right opinion. And if you did the work, you would probably prove yourself right. And I think that's okay. I don't think we have to be able to argue in a court of law every single thing we believe or do. Like, if you were to do that, how would you ever have been able to argue that you should be building a house? (laughs) (laughs) Very good point. And now look at you. Um, I am interested to talk about that's kind of what I mean. I've been following your your posts and seeing your 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 progress for a, a while now, um, and I just am always in awe of the beauty of the land that you've chosen to to build your life upon. And what really led you to to want to do this in the first place? And um, for those that haven't read your book, basically you found a piece of land for sale next to a friend. And you, there was a, there was a structure there already, a roof of some kind, a metal roof. Yeah, it was a metal roof, and it had, uh, you know, some metal posts. Uh, there had been uh, about fifteen years prior to me buying that land, there had been an older gentleman who had uh, lived in a trailer underneath it, and then when he passed, they moved the trailer out, so it was almost just like a shade, uh, you know, for his trailer. So, uh, but the actual roof didn't have any leaks and it was uh it was a good strong structure one of the biggest challenges in building the kind of tiny home um is that there are literally you know probably two hundred thousand books on how to build a home from scratch you pour the foundation you make the ground level you frame it each step is you know written out in a book but there's not one book in the world that i found out that says Here's how to build a house into a pre-existing roof. <laughs> just and so, uh, why we, though? Did you feel that you needed to do that? Couldn't you have just built the house or torn down the metal roof or built it next to it or used that as a, a a shed for your cars or why? What made you feel like you had to build the house right there? Uh, the way the land was set up and um, it was a one acre lot and that was about where on the lot I would have to take out my the biggest trees in the back of the property in order to if i were to build a house further back and also i was building this house paycheck to paycheck and um i think eighty five hundred dollars whenever i sold my airstream was the most money i ever had during the building process and so uh i was literally you know getting a a paycheck and i'd go buy some two by fours and some screws and then i that that would be the work that i did for that week was whatever i could afford out of my paycheck And so 
the the idea of you know spending more money for a roof when there's already a roof there um it didn't make sense to me and so uh, i came up with the idea to build a house into a pre-existing roof and i had to get permission from the city and then i had to start learning how to do drawings uh for the house uh, in order to get approval and that i mean at that point i think it'd been 20 years since i'd been in college and so my brain was hurting uh trying to draw the electric lines and the plumbing and understand code and language and i mean this is like speaking french like none of, i didn't do any any building before this house like uh, i say in the book but you know i think it was like maybe four or five months into the build i you know my tools were basically a circular saw and um a drill and maybe a ruler and uh measuring tape and very very simple and um my friend came over and he's watching me drill into uh the c purling and uh and he goes why do you have that drill on the slow speed and i was like what do you mean he's like well that drill has two speeds and he like put it on a high speed and it was like Zoo! and like for like four months i was literally drilling like eh like very slow speed. And I'm talking drilling through like a two by six into metal sea purling with your head near 140 degree uh, metal roof in the Texas, you know, summer. It just, just on top of the ladder with just sweat pouring off of you. I'm like, man, this is so hard. It takes five minutes to get a, you know, a screw through this metal. And I just look back on those, all that time I spent drilling. I was just, I mean, I, that's literally how much experience I had is that I didn't know the drill had two speeds. And it would have saved so much time and energy. But uh, so if anyone's out there and they're listening to this and like, oh, I can't, I can't build a house. You can build a house. <laughs> um, uh, if if the the amount of experience and natural skills that I had going into this um, were very very small, um, and so you can definitely do it. I think that what I did have was the freedom of being the new person in town and people didn't know who I was. And so I find that in small towns, especially uh, if you grow up in a small town your whole life, that people kind of know you to be a certain way and it doesn't allow you to be anything different than that. But because I've moved 46 times, you kind of get to reinvent yourself each time you move. And so I've just learned how to stop caring about what people think. <clears throat> and so just releasing the fear and actually doing something uh with full knowledge that it's going to be hard with full knowledge that i may fail like there were probably three or four times in that home building process where i just sat on the deck and i just literally like cried like just tears pouring. i was just like i'm a failure like i just did three weeks three days of work i just spent three hundred dollars i'm not getting paid for another week i don't have any money in my account it's cold uh I don't know how this house is ever going to get built. And now I have to undo three days worth of work because I made a mistake. It's not up to code. And I mean, but like really like, I mean, to be cold, to be broke, to not be good at what you're doing to, you know, um, have a daughter that you're trying to like either get a hotel room or hope it's warm enough for her to, you know, stay there that night. Like it's, it, it was hard. Um, and it tested me in ways that I'd never been tested. And, um, but I do feel like if I just grown up in that town my whole life, I would just want to rent an apartment and because I would have cared too much about what people think. Um, 
So that's a, that's a small part of the story. You've moved 46 times. I don't think I've ever heard anyone say they've moved that many times before. I think I've moved like 20 something. And I thought that was a lot. That is a lot compared to most people. Most people move under 10 times their entire life. Um, yeah, I was a military brat. So my dad was in the air force. He was a really good recruiter. So anytime recruitment or, uh, numbers were low, you get a call and say, Reese, we need you in Pittsburgh. Reese, we need you in San Antonio. Reese, we need you in Grand Rapids. And so we were moving sometimes two to three times a year. Um, and so I definitely, uh, moved around a lot as a child. And then, um, after I left my parents' house and moved around quite a bit as well. So, uh, it's, it's a valuable experience for me. So it's I'm connecting a dot between our stories. I have tried to look at the fact that I've moved so many times in positive light. Like what skills or talents did I gain from moving, I think, 21-something times before I was 30? Mm-hmm. And I realized it helped me to get to know people really quickly because I had to. I couldn't lean on these friendships I had my entire life. I had to go get uncomfortable and go break into groups of people that maybe had been friends their entire life. And I think that one is what helps me with this podcast. Two, it's what helped me be really good at sales because I learned to read people. And then the final connection is that chameleon idea of being able to know how someone feels and share like find the common ground that we were sort of talking about in political politics political politics and and religion and and those sorts of things you get really good at finding the common ground when you have to move all the time and meet new people yeah and that's i love i mean if i could get paid to do one thing in the world it'd be to sit down and have conversations with strangers like i'm talking if it's a lawyer if it's a house mom if it's a child if it's a homeless guy if it's a philosopher, if it's a banker, like I'm just curious about people and I just love meeting people. I love seeing how their brains work, how they understand reality. And, um, you know, I think that moving that many times, yeah, to speak to what you just said, it does change you. It, it makes you uh, much more open to, um, talking to people, to meeting them where they're at, to kind of understanding them. And I'm grateful for it. Now, speaking to parents, would you, if you had a choice and you, like I, my wife and I are, are, are talking about having kids and I'm like, oh, how, how important is it that we stay in one place or don't stay in one place as we're raising our children? What do you think about that? I've seen there be value to somebody living in a town their whole life and having that foundation and structure. And then I've seen the alternate reality have reality have value as well um i remember at the age of 14 i think that was the first time that i didn't want to move or i had um i was like why do we keep on moving uh it just and it was because i that was like the first time that i had a crush on a girl and you know i thought she was the one you know at the age of 14 and like, how could my parents make me move away from this girl I loved? And I literally don't remember her name. And so, you know, and I was just like, why are we always moving? And uh, my dad was like, yeah, it's going to be okay, buddy. And uh, and it was okay. And, uh, you know, so I think that kids are adaptable, man. And so I've seen it have value in both ways. And I feel as long as you have a um, a foundation of, you know, a mother and father who love Jesus and 
who love them and provide them structure and discipline. And, um, you know, I, it doesn't matter if you're moving a lot or staying in the same place. It has more to do with the internal structure of the family and how they're aligned. You reminded me just now of, of something I discovered just like three weeks ago. I went back to my mom's house and got an old box of childhood memories out of the basement. And I finally brought it down into my home and was going through it. And there was this picture, like a school picture. And it was this kid. And I flipped it over and it said to Jimmy or Jim or something or Jimbo. And my and it said my best friend. And I'm like, my best friend? I look at the front of him, I go, I don't even know who this kid is. Mm-hmm. It was I must have moved, right? Like we were friends for maybe one school year. I just was like, I'm either a really bad friend or man, we just moved a lot. But I, I sent a picture of it to a friend who I still speak with from that time. And he's like, I don't know who that is either. But it's uh, for me, I think the first time I didn't want to move was when I was 10 years old. And it was because I found this group of kids in my neighborhood and we were playing street hockey all the time and climbing trees. And when it was raining, we'd go in the basement and play video games. And I just finally felt like I had that like Sandlot. I grew up watching Sandlot. And um, like I got that group of guys in the movie Sandlot finally in my life. And so I was happy we didn't move from that house for like 10 years, I think. Um, But what you said about when you move, you get to choose who you are in your new place. uh, That is so true. And it's really difficult to change who you are when you stay in one place. Because everyone you know they want you in that box that you're in mm-hmm. already. Yeah, they're like, oh, you can't build a house. You've never even built a shed. It's like, well, I guess I can't, you know. <laughs> well, yeah, you can't start a company. Like, you, you've worked for other people your whole life. Like, there's no entrepreneurs in your family. Like, why on earth would you think you could do that? Right. I've found a lot of people who actually have businesses that are pretty successful should never have had a successful business. Like, they didn't go to business school. They didn't grow up in a family that was entrepreneurial. They didn't have money to start. And they just figured it out, just like you with building your house. And those are the stories that are inspiring to me. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yes. Some of the most successful people that I have known in life financially or business uh, or in, in any area, um, many of them didn't even go to college. Some didn't even finish high school. They just started working hard and they actually created something and they through the process of failure and repetition they became good at it and and then they were successful and so you know it's uh there's there's many ways to be successful and sometimes college is the way sometimes education is the way sometimes life experience and you know taking initiative and not being scared to fail is the way so um yeah, I agree. Like some of the most interesting people uh, have an unusual approach to getting to where they were. And you're one of those people building. I still, I wish I could be you. And I wish I could be like, oh, I could just go buy a piece of land and figure out how to get a house there. Like, how do I get like that? I have the this mindset of like, well, if I want to build a house there, I need to go read 400 books and go be an apprentice for a house builder. And I have to go do all this and save all this money. That's how I work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that perhaps is a wiser approach than what I did. Um, you know, there's a proverb that says, you know, if you don't count the cost of a house before you 
start building it that you're basically foolish um and that might be in that might be in ecclesiastes or i forget which one ecclesiastes or proverbs but yeah i did not i was not aware how much it, could, it would cost and i didn't price things i just went for it and um yeah it was uh it was hard man um but god worked in many ways during that two-year period and um, at the end of the two years, uh, you know, I had a house that um, was nice that I could live in that um, was completely paid off because I did it paycheck to paycheck and uh, I owned the land. And so instead of a 30 year mortgage, um, you know, at that point, I owned the land and house in full. And, uh, you know, I sold I sold it to a friend. Um, and that was last, maybe, yeah, about a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. And, uh, you know, I just didn't have to pay anything off whenever I sold the house. It was just cash and clear. Uh, so, you know, it offered me the opportunity to be in the house that I'm in now, which is built by the Hayers brothers. And it's a much, much nicer home um, than the kind of tiny home. Uh, but that kind of tiny home will always be one of my favorite memories in life was going through that process and building that house. Um, it, uh, it stretched me unlike anything that I've ever experienced, man. Um, and at the end it was worth it. Um, uh, but if you even asked me like three or four times through the middle of the home, I would be like, man, I don't know if I should even started this. And so. It's so interesting when you finish something and then you look back how it changes what that experience was. But, um, you know, I mean, I was literally like for two or three months uh, sleeping in a van uh, on a futon mat because I'd sold my Airstream. I was there's a hose that connected to the city water. And so I'd wait till it's dark outside. Then I, you know, would take a shower with a hose underneath a tree standing on a rock. I'm talking like it's starting to get cold and showers are really, really quick whenever it's, you know, a hose and, you know, it's 45 degrees and the wind's blowing and you're like, all right, let's, let's make this a 30 second shower. Um, and so to, you know, to do all of those things though, it's, uh, it was almost like getting to be a pioneer. Hardly anybody gets to be a pioneer anymore. And if you look back in history, like anyone coming into America was, pretty much building their own home and we've kind of lost that and i imagine that some people were better builders than other people and sometimes it took longer or the houses were worse and um you know it's uh it's rare in today's world to get a pioneer because everything is so accessible and outsourced and uh you know mechanical that you know it's it's much easier just to hire somebody uh there's already a system for it but yeah it was a good opportunity to be a pioneer when I walk around my neighborhood, it, it's growing quickly. There, I think there's 650 homes here now, and only a few years ago there was like 350. And I see these houses going up, and I see how it's all planned and it's the same. And you know, some you can see even between these professional builders, some of their job sites seem cleaner and more organized, and the wood actually is covered up, and the dust. Um, I, I don't know what they even call them. They're like a, like a erosion barrier. It, it, you know, it's still standing. It hasn't fallen over halfway through. Like they stand it back up. Like they're, they're, you can see even between them different levels of professionalism. But one thing I notice is it's just, 
they're almost boring. They're all exactly the same, and they look so cheap. Like when they're going up, I go, really? Like this costs $300,000? It just looks like a bunch of sticks that are nailed together. Like I can't comprehend how it's so expensive. Yeah, that's pretty much doubled in cost in the last two years in our industry in Texas. There's so much demand and shortages of material and labor. It's crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. Hey, sorry to interrupt the podcast, but I got a question for you. How's your gut health? This podcast is brought to you by my friends over at Healthy Gut. They've got all the different products to help you have a healthy gut. Some of my favorites are Holozyme, which supports digestion all the way from your stomach to the end of your digestive tract. Mainly, it's working in your small intestine. Another popular product from Healthy Gut is Tributerin X. It supports the health and integrity of your entire gut, which makes sure your gut is better able to absorb all the nutrients available from that great food that you're eating. So, Holozyme is digestion, and Tributerin X is gut health. Check out their products. They've also got uh, Holoimmune and Magnesium and some other products as well. So check them out on Amazon or at healthygut.com. Thanks so much for listening to the show. And now let's get back into this episode with Paul. Were you always the kind of person that could just figure something out? Or was this your first adventure at doing something big like that? Um, yeah, I would say that I have always kind of found something that has been of interest and then I get super into it for a couple of years uh, and then try to master it and then uh, move on to something else. Um, and I hadn't done anything to that level before of building a house. You know, I'd started businesses before or I'd, um, you know, uh, written, I think at that time I'd written like 16 eBooks for Cleanse America, a business I owned or help people cleanse their bodies. And, um, you know, it's, so there are different things that I've done in my life, um, that have been new or original to me, but this was by far the biggest undertaking that I had done as far as responsibility, money, uh, lack of experience, the whole thing. Were you, did you go to uh, public school, private school, or were you homeschooled? I did all of them. I, uh, went to private school in Pennsylvania for a little bit, Wilson Christian Academy. I was homeschooled uh, for a year um, in Elmendorf, Texas, outside of San Antonio. And then, you know, I went to public schools uh, for the rest of my schooling in high school and uh, junior high, elementary. And um, those ranged from, you know, the smallest 1A class that has like 12 kids per class to in Pennsylvania, one of the you know schools I went to had three thousand kids per class, and so uh, in college I went to a junior college and I went to Angelo State University. So um, I went to I've tried pretty much every type of schooling that there is. Was there one that seemed to fit the way that you're wired the most? No, uh, if I had to extract the value of the different types of educational systems that I went through. I would say that, you know, in my mind, out of the probably 20 plus different types of schools I went to, that there are teachers uh, that stand out in my memory that uh, were really amazing teachers that had a passion, who understand how to help people grow. And 
to me, it was it was more about the teacher within the education system than the education system itself. And so, yeah, I, I look fondly back and, you know, my history teacher in college, history was always boring to me in high school. Uh, and then I was like, oh, that's because my history teacher was boring. And then when I got to college, I was like, man, I listen to this guy all day and I actually want to like take a test and like answer the questions. And, you know, so it has to do more with the teacher than the system to me. Yeah, that makes sense. The when When you were building the house, I was just shocked when you gave away your van. <laughs> Why would you do that when you needed it in the middle of a project like that? I, I just want to be more like you. I feel like that to even, I don't, I wouldn't have done it. I don't really think I would have done that. Yeah. There's a, there's a certain um, kind of when I, there was a period of time where I lived off grid with no electricity. That's when the year I went through a lot of hardship, but also gave my life to Christ. But, I was a minimalist to a fault. Uh, like, I mean, I had very, very little and I found a lot of freedom in giving possessions away. Uh, and so, you know, it was a combination of not only having an, having lived an experience where I felt freedom and joy by giving away possessions, but also that at that time, because my friends um, had found themselves in a life situation where they're living out of their car, their car got impounded and they needed a vehicle. So they weren't homeless and God just put it on my heart and gave me tremendous peace. And it was just like, give them the van. And I loved that van. It was so sweet. I couldn't believe the price you got that thing for yeah. with that low of miles. Yeah. My thought was, wait, this is God's blessing for him at this time. <laughs> he just gave up his airstream. Like he could live in this van it's yeah. low miles. It was beautiful. Yeah. And then like uh, later you're just giving it away. I couldn't believe it. Yeah. That, I mean, there was a, this was a spiritual journey building that house because there was a uh, level of trust that the Holy spirit had called me to that. There was a level of trust that, I mean, there were a couple of times where I thought I was crazy. Like I was like, am I just make the saying, like, am I crazy? Um, because I shouldn't be giving away the thing that has value to me that I live in, that I can transport goods in. Um, I shouldn't be giving that away, but God really gave me a tremendous peace with it. And, uh, so I think without my relationship with God, I probably would not have given that away. Um, but just because that my passive giving away things and finding freedom and joy in that, and then God also putting in my heart, it was actually an easy decision for me. I just think about the example through this entire time, I kept thinking about your daughter and how amazing, it probably was a little bit uncomfortable an experience for her in a way, but as far as modeling someone who just has faith, figures it out, and doesn't give up on a dream and sees it through to completion, those are hard values that a lot of kids never learn because they aren't demonstrated by very many people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that um, in the same way that, you know, not having a TV growing up, there was a time where I was just like, man, I really wanted a TV. Uh, you know, I think that my daughter, the older she gets in life, the more that she can reflect on that past experience and experiences that we've had together and find value in them. Uh, but it takes a little bit of a life uh, experience and time before there's a, um, a wisdom that comes from reflecting on your past experience and i 
uh, I think that she she definitely knows that she has a, a crazy dad and that he's up for open open to adventures and doing taking risks and she's been a part of it and I love her so much for being my daughter during those times but I do think that maybe I should have like the year the electricity I'm not sure if it was actually good for her maybe I mean she she probably liked AC you know she probably would have liked hot water um and I that's a balance as a dad that I really struggled with um I was like am I being a good dad and you know I could justify it by saying well in the course of human history only in the last like 60 years that we had running hot water and electricity and so I'm giving her a unique experience but um you know that was me justifying things inside my head and I think that when she gets older, she'll be able to tell stories that no one else can tell that's her age. Yeah, that's really cool. I think that's neat. And I am curious. So when I was reading through, I was thinking about a dream that I've had for a long time. And it's to be able to make furniture. And my grandfather did that. He he built bookshelves and desks and tables and hutches and benches and every little thing. And unfortunately, when I was a kid, I had no I had no interest in learning it. I didn't care. It wasn't until I was an adult that I was like, "Hey, this is really cool. I want to learn to do that." And then he passed away and I never had a chance to actually spend time with him in his shop and and learn from him. And when I was reading your book, it kind of gave me encouragement like, "Hey, you know, I you know, it's in my blood and I could do this too. And I just think that that's what I really took away from your book is the inspiration that it's okay sometimes to go into something and not be a master. Like sometimes to gain mastery, you have to go through it as a beginner. And I I really appreciate that. Yeah, I would encourage you to make furniture, man. It's one of my favorite things in the whole world to do. And um, yeah, I started making furniture uh, maybe, I don't know, six or seven months after I started building the house. I got a job and just volunteered the first day uh, to go and help my friends who had a furniture building company in Dallas. And it was uh, it was a great experience. And uh, it helped me finish the house out, definitely learning the skill center. And I'm actually getting building furniture right now. I've kind of taken a, took a little hiatus from but um yeah so I was in marketing for sales uh, but had a lot of people starting to ask and i just i'm ready to start building furniture again and i just i just love seeing a rough product and then seeing the end result like being just transformed from a piece of wood like a log into a beautiful slab with the grain and the finish and the story of the wood uh told in the grain of you know the droughts the summers of rain you know the termites that ate it for a year the like all of it's ingrained into the wood and when you can just polish that and put a finish on it i mean it just is beautiful i love it how would you start if you were me just starting from scratch i mean i took wood shop in high school and i think i made a shelf or some something maybe a birdhouse or something but what would you start with would you recommend going and finding a a woodworker in the area and going and just helping around the shop, like sweeping up 
uh, sawdust or <laughs> yeah, if you have somebody like that that is willing to teach you man go and learn uh it'll it'll cut the uh the learning curve um tremendously so if that exists in your area go volunteer i mean i literally the to get the job that i got in dallas with my friend jacob um i said i want to learn i'm going to come up here and i'll work for free and i can work hard uh and i don't have a lot of experience but i'm open to learning and um, you know, that actually that, that posture towards that actually got me the job as opposed to someone else who perhaps could have had more experience than I did, but came at it with a different attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, man, attitude is, is everything. But at the same time, like, uh, I also learned from YouTube videos and, uh, I also find that there's an element of creativity that god gave us that is usually untapped and to have a balance of learning from experts making mistakes but then trusting that you have a creative ability that is god-given that if you can just you know open yourself up to experimenting that maybe you create something unique um you know i've seen thousands and i mean probably hundred thousand different types of wood slabs since i have been making furniture just i love observing um furniture makers seeing the stuff they build and occasionally there will be one that just truly sets themselves apart like they found their thing um and i think everybody has their thing to a certain degree and it's just a matter of um you know not only becoming going from beginner to an expert but also trusting in your own intuitive creative ability and just like looking at a raw piece of material and say what can this be you know it's so interesting when i see someone you give 100 people a block of wood that's 12 by 12 and then you say okay you have one week to turn this into whatever you want you know uh there's going to be there's going to be probably 95 percent of them will build something that's been built before by mimicking what they've seen and then there will be five percent that are like you know what i'm going to carve this into an indian head and i've never done it or i'm going to um thin slice it and you know i'm gonna make a tiny a-frame doghouse uh which might be something that is you know really hard to do it takes a lot of work but it's like when they look at that block of wood they don't just see like something to sit on they see its potential and so that's kind of what i um would encourage you to do if you're going to get into it is is those steps i have a lot of gifts that i use that are much more mentally creative, writing and speaking and recording podcasts and um, running businesses and and those types of gifts. And I find that where I'm lacking a lot is in the physical world, carving spoons, making furniture, growing a garden. And that's where my heart is yearning and, and wanting more of. And I've I read in a book once that talked about the Sabbath and how on the Sabbath it's really great to rest in a pursuit or a passion that is the opposite of what you do the other six days of the week. And so I'm 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 kind of deciding how I want to approach that. Uh, a friend of mine did just give me some whittling knives, and that's always been something on my list that I wanted to to do because i can just imagine sitting and watching the sunset and carving away and Mm -hmm. and so i'll let you know where this leads me but i definitely want to have a a day where i work with my hands and actually produce 
tangible real world fruits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's kind of missing in the world. So I'd encourage you, man, for sure. So I am curious, being a uh, expert and with curiosity as you are, what are you interested in now? Like, what are you currently trying to learn or challenge yourself with? Understanding the Bible on a very deep level is one thing. Um, under, I'm going to start building, uh, I'm, I'm calling them like micro architectural dwellings. So I started with a geodesic dome that I've built and it's, it was really hard to figure out mentally. Uh, and I have built it and it's kind of unique in its style and so there's a lot of other structures that, you know, if you're going to a park or something and there was this really cool structure where a couple could sit inside of it and just the angle of the roof or the type of wood or the way it's laid out on the land, um, you know, so that's something that's interesting to me is to create some micro um, outdoor dwelling spaces to kind of um, just be fun and interesting for the brain to look at. And there's probably... 20 different types of shapes that I'll probably try and do, um, learn how to build within the next couple of years. And, um, also might be trying to rammed earth home slash wall, maybe partially concrete. I'm working with different mixtures to do that. Um, want to learn a lot. I mean, I've studied permaculture for 20 plus years, but owning this piece of property and the way it's set up is, going to give me an opportunity to start integrating a lot of what I've learned into real life, um, hard work. And, uh, so learning about, you know, fruit trees and learning about the seasons, learning about the soil type, the nutrients they need, uh, and starting an orchard. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, those are some small things. Um, trying to get better at chess. I love chess and, uh, my brother told me to get on the app and I was just, I never find anybody who wants to play in person with me. Uh, and I love playing in person, but my brother told me to get on the app and I don't really like the app as much, but it is making me better. Uh, so, you know, those are, those are things learning how to have a relationship with my daughter, um, that teaches me how to love without the element of control because my daughter's 23 now. So she's not, um, she's independent. And so if she makes a decision that I don't agree with, I get to love her and, you know, a way that my parents in reflection. Now my parents loved me whenever I was making foolish mistakes. Um, and so, yeah, those are kind of things I'm learning right now and growing towards. You're not saying that your daughter's making foolish mistakes. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, Kaylee, if you're listening to this, I love you. <laughs> I mean, I maybe I I don't I don't know the answers to everything. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, I think that all kids in gaining independence will make choices their parents don't ultimately agree with, and that's just part of life. And it's a part of life I'm learning how to navigate right now. So I definitely have found that the more outside the box you are and independent you are, the less your family really understands why you're doing what you're doing. I don't think my family even knows what I do for a living. Like I know they can't explain what I do for a living. And I, ever since I left the corporate world, I think they think we're 
like making no money and we're just like barely getting by and they don't really know like they think I got this podcast and you know it, it it's it's funny and but I can tell you myself I'm the happiest I've ever been and I have the most joy and purpose and passion that I've ever had because I'm cultivating a life of my own with my own choices and instead of worrying so much about what other people want me to do and who they want me to be and I think if we can get more people awake to that, we could really create a beautiful world. Mm-hmm, for sure. I love those things that you're working on. And I am a, uh, a chess enthusiast as well, to a point where I had to sort of almost stop playing for the last six months because otherwise I play so much that I don't get anything else done. <laughs> yeah, it's such an interesting... And my favorite thing to do in chess, and this is going to sound crazy, is to lose. Because, and not on, not on the app. It's not very much fun to lose on the app. But in person, if I can find someone in person that can beat me, I'm like, dude, I want to play you like 10 hours straight. Like, I like whatever makes your brain work, whatever strategy you have, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to get better. And so, yeah. There, in the last three years I've worked really hard at getting better at chess and at tennis and it is so much fun to get beat in the real world because then I have this self-powered enthusiasm to get better and improve online with chess I lose I'm like eh, no big deal I just go play another game Mm -hmm. but when I go to my chess club and I spend 45 minutes playing against someone I want to learn from my mistakes and a lot of times i'll just go home and study that opening or study those moves and i get i get a lot of joy from that improvement method and i just don't get that online i for some reason the games don't feel like there's a there's not as much value to them as as games in the in the real world so what people have told me when i've described that to them because i've hired chess coaches before they said well then you need to go to tournaments because if you think playing just with a person in the real world by itself is is a great learning experience. Imagine when there's actually points and a rating attached to it. It adds so much to it. And you see these grandmasters that can remember games they lost from like 15 years ago, what moves they made. And so it, it's surely true. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that might be interesting to do a tournament. I've, I'll probably start a little chess club just so I can find some people to play with. <clears throat> but it's it's a it's a fun game and i think it's great for strategy it's great for understanding your opponent it's great for honestly like creating your neural pathways and uh, i think it's great for life i've found that i'm pretty good at getting to a competent level in lots of different areas pretty quickly chess is an area i think it's the most difficult thing i've ever tried to learn to where Every time I think I'm getting better, I realize there's a whole nother level that I'm nowhere near. And then I'll play someone who's 10 years old and they're better than I'll ever be. And that that to me is what's so fascinating about chess is it's so deep and complex. I think it's the most difficult thing I've ever tried to learn to get good at. Mm-hmm. It's almost a, I played... Um... When I was in San Angelo, there was a chess club and there was a grandmaster who came in there and taught. <clears throat> and I, the first time I played him, I realized, 
when a grandmaster moves a chess piece, it means more than when I move a chess piece. <laughs> like, like, there's like, it's like for some reason when he moves one piece, like the entire game is different. And for me, I could move the same piece and it doesn't change the entire game. And so it, it was just so interesting to watch. Like, and I'm pretty aware of my thoughts and of people's ability to affect my thoughts. And that was one of the few times in my life playing that grandmaster where I was like, this guy is affecting my thoughts. Like I'm second guessing everything that I'm doing. Like normally I have confidence, even if I lose, I'm like, okay, yeah, I lost. But like, I don't, but with him, it was like, I was literally like making moves with the chess pieces that weren't even the, the pieces moves. He was like, oh, that's, that's an Olympic move. I haven't seen that one. He's like, how does, how does your rook do that? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, oh, the rook usually just does this. I was like, oh, sorry. But he like literally was scrambled my thoughts. Like I was trying to like keep up with where his brain was. And it was like completely like fritzing my brain. But I loved it. It was so much fun. I think that's so cool. And I have been, and I, I call myself a pre-Queen's Gambit chess enthusiast because as soon as that Netflix show came out, which was really good, it brought so many people into chess, and it's been fantastic for the chess community. Now there's chess clubs and tournaments all over the country because that show brought the most chess back to our country since Bobby Fischer um, mm -hmm. was, was playing. And so I'm pretty excited about that. And it's definitely a game that you can play for the rest of your life. And we'll have to we'll have to play a few games. I think that might have been actually possibly what started our initial conversation uh, a year or two ago. I think I'm you might have been there might have been a chess board and a picture. I don't even remember. Mm -hmm. But chess definitely brings people together from all walks of life, which is really cool. Mm -hmm. um, I am curious before we wrap up um, about your live events that you've been doing, because you didn't mention that on the show at all. But I wanted to give you a chance to kind of talk about what those are. And I know in your kind of tiny home book, I think you mentioned that was a goal of yours to someday be able to do live events. And from what I understand, you're now putting some of those together. Yeah, I host them at uh, the geodesic dome that I built here on the property. And um, it's called Line 2. And it's proactive <clears throat> solutions and education for a changing America. And in the last two years, I have seen America change in ways that I never uh, envisioned happening. And I feel a call to be a leader. And uh, what I've done is started creating events to um, educate people on probably a hundred different topics within the next uh, year and a half. So I'll probably be leading them for around two years. And if it goes past that, maybe it will, but anywhere from, you know, fermented foods, to sourdough, uh, survival kits, um, solar, uh, gun protection for your family, uh, for your home, hunting, conservation, water catchment, uh, you know, having doctors come on to talk about preparing your house for emergencies, um, you know, having people come on to talk about uh, what it take, what it means to be a man in today's world, what it means to be a woman, what the family structure should look like. Um, and I've been very blessed to have just absolutely amazing speakers uh, for the first three events. And I'll probably be doing maybe like eight or nine more 
uh, and uh, they're all live events and I don't want anything to be recorded just because a lot of the things that we discussed uh, would honestly get back banned on social media. And so it's like, I don't want to draw any negative attention uh, to people, you know, talking about, you know, their faith or about family or about, you know, uh, community, uh, relying on community. <clears throat> so, you know, I, and I've spoken at a few of them as well. And uh, I've seen a really amazing response from our local community. And my intention and hope is that there's going to be a thousand people like me all throughout America who are doing the same thing. And if uh, the current agenda continues to unfold and in the future they say, hey, in order to buy this, you need to have this, then I will have the freedom to say, no, I don't have to have that in order to survive. And there's a system outside of that system that um, communities can rely on and that states can rely on. And um, I'm hoping that it can get to the level where it could be, um, you know, throughout all of America, maybe even the world. But um, I'm hoping that there are other leaders like me uh, that are stepping up in helping people educate themselves. Um, and you know what? Maybe, maybe uh, everything reverses course and God works on our nation and our nation repents. And, you know, um, maybe America makes a comeback. Uh, praise God if that happens. But if it doesn't, I at least want people to be educated enough to be able to sustain their themselves and their families and be connected to like-minded community around them. And so, yeah, that's why I'm doing that. And I think the next one is September 17th. And I think there's going to be an amazing lineup uh, of the speakers for that one. And also going to be doing, you know, weddings from the Geosic Dome and be doing uh, concerts, live music. Uh, so it's going to be fun the next couple of years. Is this a, something you buy a ticket to or do you just show yes. up? How does that work? Yeah, uh, you can buy a ticket to it. And... Um, I think last time the tickets were $40 per person and that came with lunch and speakers. And, you know, a lot of these speakers <clears throat> that have come on, they would honestly charge more just for the single speaker than um, I think I've charged $50 and $40 and $75 for a family. But, you know, feeding people and renting porta potties and making posters and doing marketing and all that stuff costs money. So, uh, and I haven't, I don't think I've made a profit yet. Uh, and that's not really my concern. If, if eventually it makes a profit, then that's great. Um, but more of my concern right now is in the education of people and um, helping people become more aware in that way. And how many people have been coming to these events? Uh, so far, the max, I think, has been 75. And I think the first one, I think, had 65 uh, people. And... Um, but I've also done very, very minimal amount of marketing for it just because I've, had, you know, I have so many things going on and uh, I want the max people to be 150 people. And so this next event or maybe the one after that uh, will probably be when I can reach 150 people. And I've had a lot of people say, well, can you live stream it and we'll pay for it? And I'm just not interested in that right now. They might have value at the end. I might do a culmination of all of the speakers, like a hundred speakers on a hundred topics. And maybe they all do a one to two page consolidated version of their message to the world. And I create like a handbook that would help people survive or 
um, be educated in a lot of different ways. And so, but right now I just kind of feel called to be a leader in that way and to provide the space. And if I need to speak on any number of subjects, I can, but also I've been connected to really amazing people my whole life and just being able to reach out to them and say, Hey, I would love to get your insights and wisdom and uh, from my community to learn from it. That is so cool. I would attend that in a second if there was one within driving distance of me, because those are all topics. Everything you mentioned are things that I'm interested in and I'm learning on my own right now. And to feel like you have other people that you can learn with and, and share the mistakes with and cut some time out and um, it would be pretty inspiring. Two things came to mind while you were talking about that and you can take them or leave them. But one was maybe one way if when you get that 150 and you still want to grow more and you're waiting for other groups to come online, it could be where maybe there's someone like me who has a passion for this too. And I put together like a watch party and I pay to be able to play it, but not just, just one time, not actually be able to watch it as many times as I want, but I put my own group of people together and get maybe 10 or 15 people. And we have a watch party of the live event and then that would be like the seeds to eventually show that there was an opportunity in my space for a, its own live event, kind of like um, to slowly encourage other people to, to build their own live events. Um, the other idea I had was you mentioned being a pioneer and how that's something that we've lost. And that to me is what you're describing. You're describing the pioneers of this country and all these skills and habits and talents, they all surely had. Like you couldn't find someone under 18 years old 150 years ago that didn't know how to do almost all of these things. And mm -hmm. somewhere along the lines, we didn't need them anymore and we started outsourcing it. Um, but there's a true, I know this firsthand from learning to garden and cook and make sourdough bread and, and, and learn survival skills and navigation skills and all this. It's in our blood. Like when we learn to wield a knife and, and to carve things and, and to make things in, in the wild, our brains light up and we come alive. Like we, we may not be doing very much of this now as a people, but it's surely good for our souls when we do yeah amen to that yeah that's a good idea i'll give it some thought um i've thought about you know doing different line two leaders in cities and states and basically syncing up um these things but um that'll probably be in the fall where i have enough mental energy to devote to creating that or connecting that well i'm so grateful i had a chance to chat with you and um and to build our friendship and I know I'm going to lean on you when I uh, am, am building a house and getting into furniture making. And, and uh, I would love for us to get some chess games in online and someday play them in person um, when I come down to Texas. But um, anything um, that as far as if people are listening to this, they want to sync up with you or check out your books or learn more about you. What do you recommend they do? How do they find you and um, how can we support you? Yeah. Um, you can uh, find uh, my book, The Kind of Tiny Home, An Unorthodox Approach to Building and Owning Your Own Home. That's on Amazon. And then Psychedelic Christian, that's on Amazon. And um, right now I'm still on social media and I may be on social media for another year and a half. And I'm feeling like I'll probably exiting uh, at that point 
for good and maybe before that, depending on how things unfold. But I have things I need to promote in the next year and a half. So Instagram's Paul Reese, P-A-U-L-R-I-S-S-E. And Facebook is Paul Reese. And I'm on Twitter, but I never really use it. And then I have a YouTube. Um, I bought all this stuff for a podcast, but I've only recorded one podcast. And it was right after I was a little bit sick. And then I just, it's just having energy and time for all the things. But yeah, I'm on YouTube as Paul Reese. Maybe doing, um, probably going to do a uh, documentary style uh, for the psychedelic Christian sharing my testimony. Um, so all those things look for in the future. And then, um, I always give my phone number out because that's produced the most fruit from any podcast is giving my phone number. So nine, four, zero, five, seven, seven, nine, zero, zero, two. If you want to talk about life or God or building homes or any books I wrote or line to events or anything, shoot me a text. We'll set up a time to call. Can you say that again? I, I only got half of it. Nine four zero five seven seven nine zero zero two. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been really fun, and we only got into maybe one tenth of the ideas of things I wanted to chat with you. So I have a feeling that we'll uh, be connecting again in the future on the show. Yeah, man. Let's do it. I enjoyed the convo. Thanks for listening to this episode of the James Quandall Show. The show notes for this episode and other goodies can be found at quandall.com. Are you enjoying the show? If you are, please subscribe and leave a review. I may end up reading your review live on the next episode. Subscribing, leaving a review, and telling your friends about the show is the best way to support me and help the show grow. See you next time. (laughs) 